Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. We have been in a series together the last, well, this will be the seventh week, and we called it Witness Stories from the first Jesus followers. And what essentially we're doing is reading some stories from the book of Acts about the first Jesus followers, especially highlighting areas where they fulfilled what Jesus told them on the night of his resurrection. He told them, well, it says it this way. It says, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, and he taught them that all of the Hebrew scriptures spoke of him. And that the Son of Man himself must die, be crucified and die for the sins of the world, be raised to life on the third day. He was speaking to them on the third day that he was raised from life. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all the nations of the earth. And then he said, you guys are witnesses of these things. And you're going to be sent with the power of the Holy Spirit really soon to the entire world, and the, the context was interesting because they were just a few really frightened people hiding out, not wanting to get in trouble like their master had been when he just got executed. But he told them, no, you guys are going to be witnesses of what I've shown you, what I've taught you to the end of the earth. Then the day of Pentecost came, which we talked about, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, and then the book of Acts. So we're going through that. We switched it up last week, though, and changed the title to say, witness stories of today's followers of Jesus, like that. And um, Michael Apikowski shared with us his Jesus story last week, and so a little bit about some of the stuff that he's currently doing as a witness. And then I told you there was this conversation that I wanted to show you via video. I'm going to do that now. So I was in North Carolina a couple weeks ago at the Vineyard National Conference. If you didn't know it, Grace Vineyard is part of essentially a denomination. There's about 3,000 of our churches around the world now. I don't know, about five, 600 in the United States. Many of us got together in North Carolina. While we were there, we saw a conversation between our national director, whose name is Jay Pathak, and Rick Warren, who's the founding pastor of a really awesome church in Orange County called Saddleback Church, also the author of an international best-selling book called The Purpose Driven Life, which helped many people understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They had a conversation, and there were some things they said in the conversation, especially, Rick, that I wanted you to hear too. So I'm going to share that with you right now. It was a 22-minute video clip. I cut off five minutes of it to try to get it down a little shorter for you. Can you hang in for 17 minutes of someone talking? I think you'll like this, and I think it'll speak to you. If you want to see the whole thing, all of the conversations are available on the Vineyard USA website. I could show them to you. Basically, Rick kind of tells some stories of his encounters with John Wimber and the very beginnings of the Vineyard and how his church and the Vineyard kind of interact. It's, it's kind of fun for those that know the Vineyard and you know the history, you might be interested. But we skip past that into this part of the conversation. Listen to this. 
consistently made space and time to invest in our movement. So I'm, I'm really, really grateful. And I'm excited to talk to you today because you've obviously had a legacy of evangelism in this county, around the world, church planting, caring for the poor, so many things we love. Mm -hmm. But I was in a meeting that you Zoomed into. Yeah. Uh, I think it was in New York. Yeah where you talked about this idea of finishing the task. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I was so struck by your words yeah. through, a, through a Zoom call yeah. that I started to talk to our missions folks yeah. and saying, man, how do we join this thing that God is doing mm -hmm. that Rick is championing? Mm -hmm. and, and so I'd love you to share a little bit about how God has moved your heart in this Thank way. Thank you, Because you're, you're at a stage that, Thank you, honestly, you could just play golf. Yeah. You could you could yeah. just hang out. Yeah, I could never. I, I hate golf. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you I don't could. Wanna, you I don't want to play a game that I can't you, get better after you, 50 years. You can, you can just uh, hang out with people. Maybe yeah. as my men said. And you're choosing in these years, as you've handed the church off and yeah. it's doing really well, yeah. to focus a lot of your attention toward this idea of finishing the task. So I just love to hear. Okay. How you got captured in that? Thank you for that. Now here's the background on that. My mentor for over 40 years personal mentor was Billy Graham. I met him when I was 18 years old. I, I was called to preach during the Jesus revolution, the Jesus movement. I was a typical long hair, skinny, blonde kid in California with wire rim glasses and a leather fringe jacket uh, preaching in the Jesus movement. I did over 120 harvest crusades before I was 20. I, I was called to preach when I was 16. And um, it was a little Baptist church in Northern California up in Mendocino County where the number one crop is marijuana. Uh, growing up in my high school, we say the grass is greener where you smoke it. And that's, that, was, that was where I grew up, okay? All the hippies in San Francisco moved to Northern California and started their pot farms there. Sounds like Colorado. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It really does. So we got a lot in common. Uh, Anyway, I was called to preach at 16, and I hit the ground running, and I preached 120 crusades before I was 20. Well, Billy Graham hears about this long-haired teenage boy on the West Coast preaching up a storm, mm -hmm. takes me under his arm, and mentors me for the next 40-something years. In Amsterdam 2000, I'm getting to the point here, um, Billy said, Rick, I want you to do a tract within the tract, within the conference. We're going to have 15,000 leaders coming to talk about evangelism for 10 days. And Billy paid for it all. I want you, he asked me, to bring 650 mission leaders from around the world uh, uh, together. And I want you to do a, a track on finishing the task. Why have we not finished the Great Commission so far? This is 2000. This is 23 years ago, in the year 2000, 23 years ago. He said, and I want you to lead this. I said, Billy, I'm pastor in a church right now. I, I can't lead it. I'll help. And we'll host the meetings and stuff like that. But let's get Paul Eshelman, who just died, to actually lead it. And so my friend Paul, who just died, was the founder of the Jesus film, as most of us know. Uh, we, we led that. We invited 650 world leaders in evangelism and mission and, and discipleship to come together for those 10 days. We had 76 different tables of about 10 people each. And at one table right in the middle called table 71, I put the leaders of the largest mission agencies. Mm -hmm. I call them the gorillas, the big ones. It was Campus Crusade for Christ. Mm -hmm. It was YWAM, 
Youth with a Mission. Mm -hmm. It was International Mission Board of Southern Baptist. It was Wycliffe Bible Translators. Mm -hmm. It was um, American Bible Society. Mm -hmm. all, you know, all these, yeah. the, the big gorillas at one table. Out of that meeting, that group decided that we would keep meeting twice a year. And we have met twice a year for the last 23 years. It's called Table 71. It, it was, and what it was is we were going to specifically go after the unreached, unengaged tribes. In missiology, we call them UUPGs. Now, they're UPGs, unreached people groups, mm -hmm. and they're UUPGs, unreached, unengaged people groups. Mm. And a UPG, unreached people group, means less than 2% is Christian. Mm -hmm. Okay, less than 2% is Christian. Mm -hmm. Now, um, in that case, San Francisco could be an unreached people group. Okay, <laughs> right. yeah. less than 2% Christian, okay. Right. A, a UUPG, unreached, unengaged people group, means they have no Bible, in their heart language. Mm -hmm. They have no known believer mm. in, their, in their people group, and they have no church. Mm -hmm. Or as I call it, the three Bs, no Bible, believer, body of Christ. Yeah. Bible, believer, body of Christ. And we thought at that time, to, in 2000, year 2000, that there might be 600 of those tribes left. Mm. Well, we actually found 3,600 of those tribes wow. with no Bible in their heart translation no known believer, and no known body of Christ. Um, now, why have they not been reached? Because they're all small. Mm -hmm. They all have less than 100,000 people in them. Mm -hmm. All of the major languages of the world now have scripture, right. okay? Uh, but if you're translating, you're gonna translate for four million people before you translate for 40,000. Yep. That makes sense? Yep. So these are the last, the least, and the lost, but they're the final frontier. Now, twice in the book of Revelation, it says that around the throne of heaven one day, there will be people from every language, every people, every nation, and every tribe. Mm -hmm. Every language, people, nation, and tribe. Now, we take that literally. Yeah. But there are still tribes that don't have the scripture, don't have a believer, don't have a body of Christ. Yeah. So my theology says, for Christ to come back, we gotta get somebody from that tribe yeah. In, into heaven, so they'll be from every tribe, every nation, every language, every people. So that group, Table 71, for 23 years, we started meeting together and, and systematically taking about 50 to 75 of those tribes off the list every year wow. for the last 23 years. We would get what we would get, indigenous missionaries to go there, we'd get a scripture portion translated, we'd get churches started, things like that. The thing is, every time we'd finish one, we'd find every, we'd go around another curve in the Amazon and find three more tribes. Right. And, and so it kept re, refilling and refilling. Well, by the time we got to 2019, most of the tribes had been adopted. Didn't mean they had been reached yet. Right. But it would be, for instance, I happen to know Vineyard has adopted some, right. some tribes or some people groups. You go, yep. this is who we're going to go after. Yep. Our goal was to have everybody adopted. Yep. Okay, so we know, okay, you're responsible for them. Yep. And you're responsible and you're responsible for them. Okay, yep. and, and to get, it's too big for any one group to do. Mm -hmm. It's going to take the whole body of Christ. And so um, we, we said... Um, 
let's just keep working on, that's what we call FTT 1.0. FTT 1.0 is to get a Bible, a believer, and a body of Christ in all the final UUPGs. We gotta get that done. FTT 2.0, which we're working on at the same time is, what about the 60% of the world who still hasn't heard the gospel? Yeah. They're not in an unreached tribe. For instance, we know they're Christians in Muslim countries. Right. So they can't be saying, well, they don't have any Bible, they don't have belief. They do. Yeah. But there's still billions who have never heard. Mm -hmm. So FTT 1.0 is focusing on the UUPGs. Does that make sense? Yep. That, as yes. you guys are talking, FTT 2.0 is focused on taking all the gospel to all the people, all the places, yeah. using all of our gifts, all for the glory of God. FTT 2.0, we call it the four Bs. I added a fourth B, and that is breakthrough prayer. Mm. Because unless the Lord builds the house, mm. we labor in vain that build it. FTT, finishing the task, is not an organization. Mm. There's no organization to it. Right. What it is is everybody in their own family is saying, we'll take this part of the pie. Yep. We'll take this piece of the puzzle. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Churches have all, are all different sizes. Right. So we're talking about going to unreached people groups. Right, right. I mean, in some tribe, right. you know, and right. who knows where. Right. And I have a little church. I, I'm barely doing this week. Yeah. Like, you know, how do I do missions? I mean, can I do missions when I'm a little church? Can Good point. So how about that little church? Okay, first, I will say this. It's not a sin to be a small church. It is a sin to have a small vision because God expects every church to care about the whole world, yeah. even if I got eight people. I have, to have, I have to have global and local vision. It's bifocal, I have to have global vision, global and local vision. Mm -hmm. and, and the way you do this is to realize what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1-8. Acts 1-8 is one of the most mis, often misquoted verses because people think it says this. Jesus says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And they think it says in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the outermost parts of the world. But it doesn't say then, 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 it says and, and, and. Now think about this. There's a difference between be a witness in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the outermost parts of the world. This means I get to go in order. Right? Exactly, and, and a lot of churches think this. We're a small church, so once we reach our Jerusalem, we'll care about Judea, which is the county around us, right. okay? And then once we get Judea, we'll care about Samaria, which are people of other cultures in our area, mm -hmm. Samaritans. They're not Jews, they're, but they live with us. And then, one, then after we get them, then we'll go to the whole world. But it doesn't say then, 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 then. It says and, 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 and. Mm -hmm. It's not sequential, it's simultaneous. It's at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that means somehow I've got to figure out for my eight members or my 20 members to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world at the same time. One of the ways you can do it is the internet. Okay, okay, you, you, everybody can get on the internet, okay? Get on some chat rooms, start sharing the gospel. My son who later lost his battle with mental health um, won many people to Christ on suicide sites. Wow. Yeah, many people to Christ. Yeah. 
And um, when he died, I, I'm not exaggerating, Jay, I probably got 35,000 letters of condolences because it was on CNN and everything. I'm walking through a, uh, the airport and I see my son's name, Matthew Warren, in suicide on a ticker tape. It's gut-wrenching. It was the worst day of my life. And I'm, I'm still grieving even 10 years later over that. Uh, but of all the letters that I got and grieving from Matthew, the ones that meant the most to me were not from presidents and rock stars, but were ones from people that had, Matthew had led to Christ in his brokenness. Wow. He was going to mental health sites and depression sites. He was going to, to um, uh, um, suicide sites. And he said, you know, Dad, he said, I know I'm going to heaven. He was an evangelist. <laughs> And, and I, the letters that meant the most to me were people who wrote me and said, I know your son was broken, struggled with mental health and deep depression, but he led me to Christ. And I'm gonna be in heaven because of him. And I remember writing in my journal um, that day, in God's garden of grace, even broken trees bear fruit. And then I wrote, and we're all broken. If God only used perfect people, nothing would get done. God loves to use broken, messed up people who don't have it all together. Everything that's been done for the gospel and the good news for 2,000 years has been done by broken pastors, broken deacons, broken missionaries, broken church leaders, broken men and women, children, because we're all broken, broken. And do we believe in miracles? Of course we believe in miracles, but they're called miracles because they don't happen all the time. If they happened all the time, it wouldn't be called a miracle. Okay, so I don't know why some people get healed and some don't. I don't know. I remember asking John Wimber this one day, and and I asked him, and I, I asked him, I said, John, when you pray for people for healing, What's the most important thing Hmm. that you want them to remember? Hmm. And he looked at me and he just said, Rick, that they feel loved. Because love is healing. So, Pastor Rick, would you pray for us as the vineyard? I I would, my brother. Because we want to join in this mission. Well, okay, buds, we're like this, okay? Women, men, we're all buddies. uh, And... and, uh, Together, you do your part for the global glory of God. You do your part for the global glory of God. And we'll see what happens in the next 10 years. All right? Let's pray. Father, we commit ourselves to you. We thank you uh, first for our salvation. May we never get over the day that you saved us. May we never get over the awe of your, your grace. Thank you that you use broken people that you don't wait for us to be perfect. You use us while, while we're imperfect because we're never gonna be there till we get to heaven. Yeah. And so today I pray for every person in the Vineyard Fellowship. God, I pray that the best days will be the days ahead, that the rest of their lives will be the best of their ministries, and that you will raise up even another generation to serve your purpose in your generation, uh, just like uh, David did in Acts 13, 36. Mm-hmm. Lord, we wanna do the timeless 
in a timely way. We want to do that which never changes in a world that is constantly changing. We want to be eternal and relevant at the same time. And we know the only way to always be relevant is to be eternal. Because whatever's in style is going to go out of style. So we're asking you to not worry about style, but to worry about being eternal. And focus on the hurts of people. Lord, there's a world that is hurting, a world that is dying, a world that needs to hear, not just in America, but all around the world. And would you expand our vision? Would you give us a heart, not just for America? Lord, I'm praying Isaiah 49 for the vineyard, where you came to Isaiah and he said, I felt so discouraged because uh, I, I just feel like I'm not fulfilling my purpose. And your answer to that was, Isaiah, your vision's not big enough. And you told him, I didn't call you to just reach your own people, your own nation, but I've set you as a light for the Gentiles. I've set you to be a light for the whole world that my glory goes global. And so may you expand our vision to include the whole world. Yes, sir. The whole world for Jesus' sake. And we pray this in his name. Amen. 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 You can clap if you want. I heard that. You don't have to, but I heard you clapping. I love that talk. God uses broken people, and even in the Garden of Grace, broken trees bear fruit. I'm going to take where he ended there, and the thing he was talking about, finishing the task and bring it back into what we've been talking about as witnesses. And I want to talk about God's plan for finishing the task. I'm talking to you all right now as this assumption. Everyone is welcome to listen to what I have to say, and it will probably benefit all of us. But I'm specifically talking to followers of Jesus, which is probably most of you. You have a role to play in God's plan for the world. And I want to talk about my understanding of how God intends to fulfill it and some simple thinking that I hope to impart to all of us. And I'm just going to show you my thinking that drives me and how I live and how I understand the vision of the church is. I'm going to start with some scriptures. First, Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. In Matthew 24, Jesus is telling the disciples about the end of days. They're asking him, when is this going to wrap up? When are all these prophecies going to be fulfilled? It's the only place I know where Jesus actually tells you when you can know the end of the world is coming and he's coming back. And I've never heard anyone that writes the book about when they figured out Jesus is coming back refer to this text. But it's the only one in the Bible that lets you know definitively when Jesus will come back. Do you want to know when he'll come back? Here it is. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. When the gospel of the kingdom has been preached to every tribe, every tongue, every nation on this planet, the end will then come and Jesus will return. Until that happens, I don't care what your prophecy map says, (laughs) Jesus is not coming back. That's the message. Here's a verse that we read every Christmas, and it's related. And it's going to lead toward my very favorite prophecy from Scripture that many of you heard me say. I'm going to repeat it again and again until we all have it memorized probably. But anyway, Isaiah 
chapter 9, you hear this at Christmas, for to us a child is born. We always read that when we're thinking about Jesus coming. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. When you hear government, hear kingdom of God. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If anyone ever tells you, well, nowhere did the Bible or Jesus ever say that he was God, we'll take them to here where it says he will be called Mighty God. Jesus is God. The prophecy said so, and it's in other places. Listen to this really important sentence. Of the increase of his government or of the kingdom of God on Jesus... There will be no end. And this is true. Since the time Jesus has come, his kingdom has been growing in our planet without end. It has never stopped growing. It is slowly filling the entire planet. Kingdom means the active rule and reign of God. One more verse that will lead to my favorite Prophecy of Scripture, which has everything to do with the verses I just read. Habakkuk, a funny guy's name, right? Habakkuk, can you say that? Habakkuk, 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 weird name, huh? 2 chapter, verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is directly related to, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And it's directly related to Jesus saying, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all nations, and then the end will come. The earth is already filled with the glory of the Lord. The earth is not filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And that's the key to understanding this. In Isaiah, when Isaiah is being called... In chapter 6, he sees this vision of the temple with God in the temple. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah speaking, saw the Lord seated on a throne, high exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. This awesome picture he describes. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another in a loud voice that shook the temple. This huge temple. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. In Psalms, the 19th chapter, it says this, and I don't think I put this on the screen. Maybe I did. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In other words, nature itself, the creation, is declaring the glory of God. If anyone ever says to you, I wish God would just do something to give us a hint that he exists, then maybe I would believe. After you pick yourself up from falling down laughing, say, look at creation. His fingerprints are everywhere. It is shouting the glory of God. Have you ever seen a star-filled night in the mountains? Have you stood on the shore of the ocean? Have you seen a whale? Have you seen the videos of the fish in the depths of the ocean? Have you seen creation? It shouts his glory. The earth is filled with the glory of God, but it's not filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. 
That comes and is described in the Bible in this verse that ties it all together for me. Are you with me? How are you doing? Okay, because I know I'm talking kind of fast. And if you say, man, I wish I had those scriptures, send me an email, send me a text, send me anything you want, and I'll give it to you. But you got to ask, because only those who are curious get their questions answered. Anyway, back to 2 Corinthians. The God, this is speaking of people who do not yet know Jesus, people who are not saved. Here's their situation. Satan, the God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel or good news of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Listen to this next sentence. It is so key, and it ties everything that I just said together. For God who said in the beginning of creation, let there be light. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. There's that phrase. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Every time another person understands, has faith given to them from God, has a sense of the reality of who Jesus is, looks to him, trusts in him with their life, puts their faith in him, what we call saved, born again, born anew. Every time that happens, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord spreads a little further in the earth. The day is coming, the prophet said, when the entire earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And the knowledge of the glory of God is in Jesus Christ himself, which comes back to our calling to fulfill, to finish the task of being witnesses. Are you with me? Is this coming together to make sense? Was, was that just three of you? Should I say it again? You're good, okay. We have been saying that a witness is someone who tells others what they have seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced, and what they've learned about Jesus. Some of you can repeat that now. You've heard me say it six times over the last six weeks. A witness just tells others what they've seen, heard, experienced, and learned about Jesus. Everyone in this room has seen, heard, experienced, and learned something about Jesus. You're all witnesses. You all have something to say. A witness tells others. But, let's take it a little deeper. We are also called to be disciples of Jesus. A disciple is like an apprentice. That would be the natural word that we would use today. Some of you are in the trades. I meet occasionally someone who joins the union. Um, they be, I know there's a couple, there's at least one pipe fitter union guy in the room today. If you're an apprentice electrician, you work with a journeyman electrician so that you can know what he knows and you can do what he does. An apprentice to Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, learns what Jesus taught and learns to do what Jesus did. That's all it is. To be a disciple of Jesus 
is to learn what he taught and to learn how to do what he did. That really comes together in the famous words of Jesus we call the Great Commission. If you don't have this memorized so that you can sort of say it, maybe not word for word, but kind of word for word, you probably should learn it. You'll hear it all the time in our church. Jesus gathered his disciples together, and he said to them, this is recorded in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and here's what I just told you, teaching them to obey everything I taught you, everything I commanded you, and I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. So, if a disciple learns what Jesus taught and does what Jesus did, that includes this command. That makes this multiplicative. multiplicative. It multiplies because every disciple has to teach a disciple to teach a disciple who teaches disciples who teaches disciples who makes disciples, and then it multiplies. This, that's the principle of multiplication. When we are witnesses, we are adding. When we are disciples, we are multiplying. It's a very simple principle. It's built into nature. You can read about it from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus talked about agriculture regarding the work of the kingdom of God growing. I want you to just think of these three words. Seed, tree, fruit. And I even put a picture for you using apples. Seed, tree, fruit. Is it up the Yeah, you can see it on the screen. So you see those little seeds, tree, and then fruit that has seeds in it. This is discipleship. This is easy to remember. It's all around us. And I've told you this before regarding the power of a seed, but I'll just tell you again. They say it's easy to count the number of seeds in an apple, but difficult to count the number of apples in a seed. A typical apple has five seeds in it. A typical apple tree in one season of growth will produce 300 apples, each with five seeds in it, meaning there are 1,500 seeds in a typical season of an apple tree. Do you follow that? Now watch this. If each of those seeds becomes an apple tree, that every season of growth has 300 apples, each of which have five seeds, that next generation will have 1,500. No, I did that wrong. That next generation yeah, will have 1,500 seeds that can grow into apple trees. The next time around, there'll be 2,250,000 seeds. The next time around, there'll be 3,375,000,000, and so on and so on. Now, obviously, not every seed becomes a tree, or the earth would be nothing but one giant apple orchard, right? It wouldn't work, because some of the trees, some of the seeds don't get planted. And Jesus said, this is the way it is in the kingdom of God. Do you remember when he said, the kingdom of God is like a man who went out sowing seed, like a farmer? In his time... And still in the Middle East, if you find some of the ancient tribal people, they sow seed by having a bag full of seed, and they just broadcast it. They just scatter it. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like this. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Some of the seed fell on the hard soil, like on a sidewalk. 
It never penetrated the hard heart of the hearer, and the birds of the air came and ate the seed, and it didn't produce a tree. Some of the seed fell on rocky soil. It didn't have root because there wasn't any room for it. So it sprouted up, but the sun came out, and it withered. Some of the seed went into soil full of weeds. And he said that was like the cares of this world and riches and worries and pleasures. That seed started to grow up, but it choked out. And then there's the one-fourth, the seed that landed on good soil. It produced, it grew into a tree, and it multiplied sometimes a hundredfold. This is God's plan for filling the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You are witnesses. You are called, and I say me to us, we are called to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples, who make disciples. It doesn't take many disciples who make disciples who make disciples for this thing to work. You will scatter a lot of seed, and Jesus said, don't be discouraged. A lot of it won't take root. But you pay attention when some of it does take root. And you teach them everything I taught you. Remember, I taught you, and I showed you what to do, because you're my apprentice. So, like, we had Michael share last week, and he thinks this way. We have this conversation constantly, seed, tree, fruit. We don't say that. We say, make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So he, if you meet him and you're a new Christian especially, he's probably going to say, would you come with me to Walmart? And he will multiply in you what was multiplied in him, which was to show you how to walk up to someone, ask them, if you could pray for them, listen to the Lord and have an encounter with God. He'll then say, why don't you come with me on Monday nights when we go minister to some really hurting, oppressed people in our city. I go with him now occasionally. I've gone, what, four times maybe. Because he's trying to multiply what he is in others because he's doing what Jesus did. Praying for the sick, lifting up the oppressed, opening blind eyes, setting captives free. And I'm hoping that I can influence everyone in the hearing of my voice to think this way. You are called to multiply what's been put in you in others. If you have learned how to lead a Bible study, you need to do more than figure out how to make it through one more week of leading a Bible study. You need to find at least one person who you can train to lead a Bible study who will have people in their Bible study and lead that, someone in that group to lead their Bible study. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples. If you have a gift of intercession, God, and you know what, God has called you to pray for people, for his church around the city, around the state, around the world, to pray, pray, pray. You are doing awesome, but you need to do more than pray you need to find someone to multiply as a prayer like you who will find someone else to multiply as a prayer like them. If you're called to minister to the children and you do Sunday school teaching, you care for kids, you need to do more than prepare your lesson. You need to think seed, tree, 
fruit. I need to find another one that I will train to do what I do. Who will then train someone else to do what they do and multiply? If you are a worship leader, you need to do more than prepare your worship set for the next event. You need to be thinking, who has God called me to disciple in worship leading so I can multiply myself and teach them to multiply themselves so this thing grows slowly but exponentially. Are you with me? I'm asking you today to commit to God that you will invest your life in growth through multiplication. Most of you in here have already given your lives to Jesus. If you haven't, join the party. <laughs> if you're not with Jesus, you're missing the party. If someone told you that the party is for the people who don't believe in Jesus, you were lied to. The party is in Jesus. This is where life is. He gives you life and love and joy and peace in all circumstances today. Put your faith in Jesus, the Son of God, who died for your sins, was raised to life, and will impart life to you. Do that today. And then when you do that, become a disciple who makes disciples. If we do this, we will, in the words of um, Rick Warren, finish the task. Now, in las siguientes palabras, me dirijo a los que habla español. In the following words, I'm talking to you who speak Spanish. Anyone in here speak Spanish? Please show this one minute and 48 second video of my friend, Mauricio. Hola a todos, Vineyard family. My name is Mauricio Villamizar, and with my wife, Joanna, we pastor La Viña Laguna Niguel in California. And also, I lead Misiones La Viña USA. Misiones La Viña USA is a missionary team that seeks to provide help to vineyard churches that have a notable Hispanic community in their regions and want to start a ministry that can eventually become a church plant. It is an honor and privilege to lead this team, team that we recruited from all La Viñas in the United States early last year. Yes, we have a team, and our hope is that we can extend the kingdom of God in these communities and support pastors who feel limited by the Spanish language and the culture. As a team, we want to upload the values and the DNA of Vineyard USA and the La Viña. And also our heart is to serve and to make connections between the Hispanic community and the local Vineyard Church through short-term missionary trips. Last year, we launched our first missionary trip with Pastor Susan Van Raisen in the Bay Area in California. And God moved so much in the hearts of the Latino community. So if you happen to see a good number of Hispanic people in your congregation or area where your church is, let us help. My invitation is that you contact us and let us know your needs so we can plan accordingly. Thank you. We are Misiones La Viña USA. Thank you, Vineyard family. We are Vineyard. We are La Viña. Bye-bye. So when I was in North Carolina, Mauricio walked up to me and said, Ron, are you ready? I want to bring my team to Oceanside. And some of us have 
gathered and prayed a little bit, some of the Spanish-speaking people. We met with Ruben, remember that. We did a prayer walk in the neighborhood over here that's primarily Hispanic. I pointed to the wrong place because I'm directionally challenged. It's over there, actually, <laughs> behind the high school. We live in an area where there are tons of people who are from Spanish-speaking countries. I pray that we will finish the task and reach them. Yo soy gringo. <laughs> I'm the wrong guy for it. I'm asking you, who habla español, who speaks Spanish, to take your place and consider that you could, with the help of that guy and his team, start a group where we study the Bible and pray together in Spanish. We have enough people here who speak Spanish to reach our community. We have people who can lead worship in Spanish in our congregation. I've talked to you. So I'm calling you to pray at least and step it up and let's go finish the task and make some disciples in Oceanside who speak Spanish. Secondly, show the, the, the graphic for the, or thirdly, whatever this is, for Jesus Walk. We've done some Jesus Walks. We're going to do another one on August 26th. Um, that's us people in that picture there. Mark Newell back here is going to be our, our organizer, our leader. We're going to meet at 10 a.m. at the parking structure. We're going to walk along the strand. Hopefully some of you that have guitars will be making some music. And we're going to go encounter people along the strand, on the pier. There will be plenty of people. We will meet them. We will pray for some of them. Some of them will come to us. It seems to happen. We will bring the good news and the power of the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom to our city. Would you join us? It's kind of fun, isn't it? Oh, it's Stephen Beck's birthday? Okay, it's a birthday party, Jesus walk. Did I hear a question? No, okay. And remember, I told you Monday nights, C4C ministries out on the streets. Remember what Rick said. You may have a church of eight people. You got to pick up the vision and see globally and locally. We might not be thousands of people. We are what we are. We have plenty to multiply whatever we are in the lives of others. Will you commit your life to investing, whether you're good at it or bad at it, whether you are a broken tree or not, and all of you are broken trees, so there's no or nots here. Will you commit to invest your life in growth through multiplication? Seed, tree, fruit that has seeds that become trees, that bear fruit that has seeds, that bear trees, that has fruit, that has seeds, seed tree fruit. Let's stand together. And I'll tell you, well, I'm going to pray over us and give you instruction. Here's the, here's the thing. We're going to do ministry time now. And afterward, oh, somewhere around 1130, that's like 35 minutes from now, we'll launch, maybe a little earlier, we'll see, we'll launch the fellowship lunch. And when that time comes, what you do is you sit at the table where the plates are. Find a place 
to sit down. I'll come back and we'll start releasing you table at a time to go get the food. That way no one has to stand in line a long time. Looks like there's plenty of food. I hope you'll all stay for lunch. I know Matt Evans made 17 pounds of pulled pork for pulled pork sliders. And I'm told that Paul... Probably. It unplugged itself. Well, I unplugged it. I don't know. Paul brought tri-tip. Is that true? I did. I didn't bring 17 pounds. But. Okay. So while your appetites are getting ready, come back to the Lord. <laughs> he may have been speaking to some of you today. I hope he was. You may have been challenged by this idea of broken trees in God's garden of grace. You may have realized that you're broken, but God can still use you. Whatever you have, God can bless that and multiply it. And he wants to bless it and multiply it. Every one of us is incapable of this thing on our own. God designed it that way so that we live in utter dependence on him moment by moment. If we don't have the flow of his Holy Spirit, Nothing good is happening, but we have the flow of his Holy Spirit, so all of us can serve him in power. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and particularly rest on those that you are calling today. Let them experience your heart cry landing on their hearts. Even share with us your longing to see the people of this world come to life through Jesus. We pray that your longings become our longings. Draw people today. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.